Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. My first interview with Anonymous was in 2008, shortly after I learned that they existed when they were uh, involved in Project Chinology, their protest against the Church of Scientology. I was fascinated with this thing, whatever it was, called Anonymous, but I was hamstrung. I couldn't have them on my radio show, my technology show, Search Engine on the CBC, because as most news organizations do, there is a strict policy about the use of anonymous sources. In the rare instances where you could put an anonymous source on the air, I had to know who they were. I would have had to have verified their identities. They would have to have a decent reason for remaining anonymous, and then you got to prove the newsworthiness of the story. There was no way, as the host of Search Engine, with that story, at that point in my career, all the factors combined, that I was going to be able to put an anonymous member of Anonymous on the air. Those were my issues. And then Anonymous had their issues because whenever somebody speaks up and says, I'm an Anonymous spokesperson, they get piled on by the rest of Anonymous. And of course, if they go unanonymous and actually give you their name, they're no longer Anonymous. That's the nature of Anonymous. I could be Anonymous. I could be a member of Anonymous right now, technically, simply by signing a comment on the internet Anonymous, but the most senior and respected member of Anonymous, who's been the most prominent player in the biggest raids they've ever had, would instantly lose their anonymous status if they were to divulge their real name. Those were the dynamics at play back in 2008. In any event, I found a go around. I announced on air that I wanted to have somebody from Anonymous on the air, but I needed them to use their real names. And two people actually did step forward, these two young guys. They showed us their identification and we put them on the radio. Here's a little bit of what that sounded like. Hey guys, how you doing? Good, what's up? Before we get any further, I just want to make sure we're not going to get you messed up. Are they going to hunt you down and harass you? Or are your fellow anonymous members going to make your lives miserable? Hopefully not. I mean, we're just uh, trying to get the word out and pretty much tell the country uh, what's up. So maybe you could educate me. What is anonymous? Um. Well, essentially anonymous is you and me, everyone and nobody. We just happen to be a group of people on the internet who need just kind of an outlet to do as we wish that we wouldn't be able to do in regular society. You can do as you wish as long as it doesn't really break the law. 
so it seems like this is like a satire. This is just like for for giggles. Um. Yeah. Well, like, um, there's a common phrase. Uh, we're doing it for the lulls, mm-hmm. and that's just a f- quick form of LOL, laughing out loud. So this culture of satire seems to, you know, I'm, I'm aware of other raids where you guys went to give away the ending to to a Harry Potter. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, we've done. Yeah, yeah. Fast forward seven years, and things are a bit different. As you heard a couple weeks ago when I spoke to Gabriella Coleman, anonymous. It's not quite so lulzy anymore. It's not quite so wacky and hoaxy. That stuff still happens, but now they're involved in everything. They're involved in Arab Spring. They're involved in national security issues. They're involved in all sorts of politics. And the decision to not cover anonymous, to not use them as sources, is also very problematic because they are an integral force behind an increasing number of big news stories. Still, the mainstream media is very squeamish about them, which is why I was so surprised to read in the National Post, their their reporter Adrian Humphreys had the story where the chief source was Op Anon Down, the subsection of Anonymous. And it was there that we all learned that they had, I guess, hacked the government, be it the Treasury Board, the Privy Council Office. The point is they had this document that was incredibly newsworthy to matters of national security. It revealed that there are not three foreign stations that CSIS operates around the world, as previously thought. There are 25. Now, after that appeared in the National Post, it was picked up elsewhere. The document itself made the rounds. That ultimately made its way into the mainstream media. And all of that mainstream media coverage of Anonymous and the stuff that they had hacked and were now leaking was it was surprising. I don't think we've seen anything like that before. Now, since that first story, this has all evolved, but it's also devolved. It's gotten very murky. Exactly how much more information Anonymous has, if they have the revelations they've promised, what's to come, whether we can report the things that they have been saying, it's gotten very complicated, as you're going to hear today. In a few moments, I will speak with Anonymous. And by Anonymous, I mean I will be speaking with whoever is in some way connected with the Twitter account Op Anon Down. That's the Twitter account that's been behind this most recent series of leaks. I connected with them through Twitter. They mentioned me. I followed them. They followed me back. That opened up a channel for us to direct message each other. Long story short, they agreed to an interview via encrypted instant message. They then fed their answers into their creepy British text-to-speech voice guy thing, and I then went and re-asked my questions in the studio, which felt a bit strange, but that's what got the job done. You're going to hear that soon, but before you hear that, you're going to hear me speak with the National Post's Adrian Humphreys on how this all unfolded on his end and the issues it brought up for him. All of that to come. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Blair Hone, Rob, Aaron Dalzell, David Ebby, Samantha Green, Brett Favreau, Michael Fitzgerald, Zach Pashley, and Alex Kennard. Alex, why did you decide to be awesome? You keep it honest, and you're willing to admit when you're wrong. This episode is also brought to you by FreshBooks.com. If you are a freelancer, if you have a small business, if you're an entrepreneur, if you deal with things like expenses or billing, just use FreshBooks. It's better than the other thing that you're using. FreshBooks.com slash CanadaLand is where you can sign up for a 30-day free trial. This is going to save you time. This is going to get you paid faster. It's going to make you look better in your professional dealings. The invoices look slick. Go and have a look. Try it out. If and when you do become a regular customer, tell them who sent you. You will be supporting this podcast. Cloud accounting, painless billing through FreshBooks.com. Uh, Adrian, hi. Hi, Jesse. How you doing? I'm pretty good. 
you know, working with anonymous sources is a fraught topic in journalism, no matter what you're covering. Did you have any reservations about working with anonymous as your source? Yeah, uh, in abundance. Uh, absolutely in abundance. I mean, as you know, good journalists prefer to have sources on the record. Clearly identify them to the readers, clearly identify them to yourself. But this was uh, sort of a whole new ball game because usually any anonymous sources that I use in a story are someone that I'm, I know their identity but can't reveal it publicly for an understandable and legitimate, legitimate reason. In this case, you know, they were anonymous even to me. So it's like anonymous within anonymous. It's, yeah, a confidential source you know and have verified them, but, you know, they've got reasons why they can't tell. And that's part of it is that you can, you know, tell your audience, your readers, they have legitimate reasons to be anonymous, and I, I know who they are. In this case, I mean, you don't even know that you're dealing with one individual person. Correct. Although I think you, when it comes to the second part of that about legitimate reasons, I think, you know, these are among the, some, you know, the strongest legitimate reasons. We're talking to people who uh, are making a threat and uh, something that could be uh, considered a threat, something claiming some responsibility for a potential crime. I mean, in that sense, the demand for anonymity is, you know, eminently understandable. Sure, if they're hacking into government systems, they could be thrown into jail. I guess that's pretty understandable. But, uh, but still, you've got these reservations. Why did you decide to put them aside and and use them as a source? Well, it, it, I mean, it, it took some doing. I tried as best I can to uh, establish their bona fides as, as as best I could. The anonymous spokesperson. Um, yeah, in this uh, instance that I was dealing with, uh, explicitly told me sort of their concerns and position. I relayed mine to them. I tried as best I could to establish through third parties and through other means that the people I was dealing with were as legitimate and um, uh, it's who they said they were in terms of activity and position rather than identity as best best I could. And uh, ultimately, it's, it's a balancing act, right? So you balance the danger of, of the story and the source of the information beside the value of the story and the public interest uh, of the material. Okay, so just to cut into that a little bit, um, I think what you're saying is because Anonymous is just like anyone and no one is in Anonymous, and you're saying that you did your best to confirm that you that the, the actual part of Anonymous that you were speaking to was the one that was affiliated with this Twitter account, the one that was affiliated with this... Uh, this document disclosure that they gave to you. And I know from speaking to Gabriella Coleman on the last episode of the show that she was the intermediary. So that secret's out. Uh, that's the process that you're describing here? Yeah, I mean, with the caveat on that last part, um, I'm, <laughs> that is part of the process for sure. And, and not just that they were involved with this particular Twitter account, but also that um, as best I can discern, they also have an involvement with Anonymous in a longstanding nature. They didn't just become anonymous the morning I had a communication with them. Right. So, yeah, again, Gabriella, having kind of been present in that scene for a long time, might have been the person who would be in a position to tell you that this particular identity within Anonymous is legitimate within Anonymous, is as legitimate as a member of Anonymous can be. Yeah, Gabriella is a tremendous resource uh, on information about Anonymous from someone who's has an academic pedigree and uh, uh, has you know studied the world more than most. 
as you say, this is this part of Anonymous, up and on down, uh, have made public claims that they have compromised national security, basically. They've hacked into government systems, and they're basically involved in blackmailing the government and blackmailing police, saying if they don't get this result that they want, certain actions to these RCMP officers aren't taken, they're going to continue to release uh, government secrets. So did you worry that you might be helping them? Uh, I mean, I, did I worry about that? I, I, I didn't know, I, I, in the sense that I didn't know such, no such thing. Um, you know, uh, the document existed, uh, pre-existed before uh, I had any contact with them. It was in the hands of them before I had any contact with them. In terms of um, its release, I did not um, publish the document until it was already made a public document by the people making the threat. So in that sense, no, I, I didn't feel in any way that I was uh, aiding and abetting them at all. Well, they obviously felt that they had something to gain by talking to you. I mean, if some anonymous Twitter account leaks a government document or what's supposedly a government document, maybe it's like a tree falling in the woods. I could see why they would want a major newspaper to write that they had done this and to and to say, hey, look, we did this hack and here's proof. And then you report that and all of a sudden there's a lot of interest on them, on, the, on them and eyeballs on that Twitter account. And then they're in a position to dump that document and actually make the splash that they're looking to make. So they they obviously like were using the press. You know, you, you were a, like involved in that transaction making use. I prefer. <laughs> okay. Yes, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they didn't take the risk of contacting me, having ongoing uh, and, and a lot of discussion with me through various means, that's not without risk to them. They didn't do that uh, for my benefit. They didn't do that so I would have a you know a well-read story in the National Post. They did that to further their aims, absolutely. They wanted um, the echo chamber of the media. They wanted some level of... Uh, verification is not quite the right word, but um, you know, the, uh, the, the validation, the assessment of, uh, of, of a professional news paper um, journalist and a news organ, um, for sure. So while your intention was not to give them that, you did end up giving them that? Absolutely. Well, you know, in any story, I mean, you write every story to be read. Uh, I can't think of a story I didn't write that I didn't want to be read. Sure. Did you have to fight for this in the newsroom? Did you get pushback from editors? Not poor. I mean, look, you, no one, no good journalist takes anonymous sources and uh, this type of uh, information lightly. We had lots of discussions about it. Um, pushback, blowback, I'm not sure those are the right words. We had careful assessment, right? We had discussions. They wanted to know um, some of the questions you're asking. You know, how did I know this isn't uh, a prank? Uh, how do I know, you know, that the end of this conversation, you're not going to reveal yourself as, you know, this was a media hoax fish me in. Uh, how did we know, you know, uh, that the document itself had any validity uh, or newsworthiness? I mean, these are all discussions we had at very high levels and, and you know, took a lot of time. I mean, I, I talked about it probably as much as I wrote about it uh, yeah. in terms of my time. And the work that you did, and it's, it seems like the document, by all accounts, it does seem to be uh, holding up as a, as a legitimate document. So I guess that's that's where your skills as a journalist and, and the research and, and the, the legwork to make sure that everything is solid comes in. Yeah, I mean, if it was a fake document, you'd think that someone in the government would just, by the way, this is a bogus document you've been had. Uh, and, um, you know, and if they could prove that uh, <laughs> to some degree, uh, you know. But here we have them referring to, you know, we don't comment on a leaked document. Um, that's almost a fact of acknowledgement that it is, in fact, a leaked document. Yeah, yeah. It seems to be the case. But, you know, once you kind of opened up the door, 
there was this follow-up story, which was that you then reported on their next threat, which was their threat was, uh, we're going to reveal these these uh, text messages that are going to tell you why John Baird really resigned. And you reported on the threat, but you did not report when they sort of followed through on that threat. Why didn't you? Uh, I don't feel they followed through uh, with their promise on that one. I was uh, interviewed after my first story about Anonymous, and uh, I, I was able to say then that you know everything they told me they came through with. And they told me they had this document. They told me they would give me a sample of it. Uh, they came through with that. They told me various things. They came through with that. They told me they were going to release it to the public at a specific time, 5 p.m. Pacific time on such and such a day. They came through with that. I had a, a reasonable level of confidence that uh, what they said is what they did. I'm still waiting for them to come through with what they promised on the second one, that they had some form of evidence or proof that uh, there is anything more to the situation they were describing than they've so far released. If I, if, if I detect uh, or find a publishable story um, on, on that subject matter, I throw myself into it full-heartedly. I have not yet found that. We're in an awkward position here, you and I both, because what they did tweet is not verified. It's not substantiated in any way. It's not publishable. And yet, you know, the fact that they did uh, release something is now sort of part of a narrative that you started to tell. I'm not going to get into what they said for the same reasons why you didn't. But now that's kind of like... I don't know. It's, it's, it's sort of left hanging in a weird way. It is, it, and it's, it's disappointing. Uh, I, and I've expressed that disappointment to uh, the people making the claim. They know why I didn't do a story on it. They know uh, that um, I found uh, their release to be unpublishable and disappointing and thin. They didn't follow through with what they said on this case. So now they've gone from a 100% record to a 50% record. Yeah. Anonymous, we're very disappointed in you. Um, They did, however, release this other crazy document, the statement of claim from uh, this disgraced but then exonerated, uh, I don't know how you describe him, this this conservative or formerly conservative affiliated businessman, Nathan Jacobson. This lawsuit he filed against the Attorney General of Canada and CSIS, and it contains the names of CSIS agents, allegations of bribery that he delivered bribes, that CSIS agents uh, accepted them. It's bonkers. I'm sure you've read this thing. What do you make of it? Again, there's no suggestion that's a hacked document uh, that appears to be um, a, a sort of a leaked document. The, the whole nature of Anonymous in this uh, operation has shifted from um, a group of hackers that are supposedly um, and apparently accessing government computers and um, you know withdrawing information and then sharing it to one that's maybe modeled more upon, say, WikiLeaks or um, a traditional news source when when someone has information or a document and they slip it uh, or or release it in some way. So that's one thing that um, I found strange. It's sort of straying quite uh, sharply from the anonymous's uh, strength or forte. Second thing, most of the the information from that that I could discern had sort of previously been published in some fashion, 
And frankly, I'm not even sure how um, secret or it is. I've never gone to the courthouse to try and access it. It's quite a dated uh, file. It, it may be, you know, a public document, but it, it, it certainly was interesting, but uh, a dated document. I, I looked into it and spoke to Michael Harris, the journalist who wrote a lengthy article about it for iPolitics, and, and he says that it uh, it is a public document, but it was very hard for him to get his hands on, and he, he believes that somebody went to some lengths to secret it away in, in an out-of-the-way place. So not a leak per se, but something that may otherwise not have seen the light of day. But but also, Jesse, the Ontario court system and its its file management system is so pathetic that even if it's uh, a document that's utterly benign to everyone, it would also be incredibly hard to get. Yeah, we can't say conclusively. That was Michael's feeling about it, that, that there might have been some intentionality there, but sure. I guess we don't know for sure. Okay, look, they, they this is over, not over. They've, they've made, you know, Anonymous makes big, grandiose claims. They've made a claim that this is not done. They have more leaks to come. They claim to know things about uh, surveillance between America and Canada. They claim to know other things about the cabinet. They they say that there's more stuff coming after Labor Day into the election. Do you buy it? Is this story ongoing for you? The story is definitely ongoing. Do I buy it? Well, you know, if you'd asked me before the second leak, I would have said yes. Um, as we've already discussed, the level of confidence I have uh, in the information and, and its source has gone down, and I've expressed that to them as well. You know, they've made some remarkable claims. They've hinted and suggested they have remarkable uh, information and or documentation. Any journalist would want to, to know it's true. I know several journalists, I believe several journalists are pursuing it. You know, I think we're probably going to hear some more. I guess the big question in my mind is, is how much of it is innuendo, how much of it is, is rumors, how much of it is interpretation, and how much of it is, is a cold hard fact. What I found so appealing about the first story I did uh, on the CSIS foreign stations, it was a document. It didn't require any analysis from them. It didn't require any interpretation. Uh, it, it's black and white. It's there. It makes some you know, newsworthy claims. It, it furthers the public's knowledge about uh, you know, such a huge subject of, of importance as you know, national security and, uh, and how much money is spent for our security and the potential woeful state of our our national security. So, I mean, that was that was just black and white information. You know, no one's debunking it. It's just a slam dunk story. Other aspects, you know, if it's innuendo, if it's third party reporting, like um, you know, the, the second really seemed to be. Who knows? It, it's really open to question at this stage. Yeah, and and really, that first one, you, you know, you said it. It's a slam dunk story that I think we haven't even actually come to grips with what a revelation that that is. I mean, having only known of what was it, two or three ceases foreign stations before, 25, that completely redefines what CSIS has been doing. And I, th- and I think it raises questions about whether they've even been following their mandate, doesn't it? Um, yeah, I'm not sure necessarily about the mandate question. I mean, I, I think it's often a little overblown about uh, you know, how handcuffed CSIS was uh, in operating abroad. But you know, certainly in terms of its scope and expense, I mean, and not only just the number. I mean, they've, they're sort of public knowledge previously to, to three. It was like Washington, uh, London, and Paris. You know, and, and in this document, uh, although it's not a list of their locations, there is a, display, a reference to many of them in third world and or unstable regions. So this, you know, adds a whole other flavor to, uh, to what uh, CSIS is doing in the world, ostensibly on behalf of Canadians. Adrian, thank you so much for finding the time to talk with me about this. I very much appreciate it. I appreciate it very much. And, and no big reveal now that, uh, that you're behind this uh, big hoax? Oh, 
I was going to save that, but yeah, no, it was me. It was me. And you're joking, of course. <laughs> if we're going to riff, you got to riff with me. Yes, I'm joking, of course. <laughs> was that was that? Did that thought go through your mind that I was the anonymous source that was? Uh, not necessarily the time for you, but I mean, uh, one of the one of the things I was alive to is was it's a hoax, you know, the Frank pranks or the you know. Right, and I have a background in hoaxing, and anonymous is is explicitly into media hoaxes, so I, I you know I'm on guard for that too at this point. So for sure, yeah, it, 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 you can't work on this kind of story without considering that um, as a possibility. Okay, well, you have my word for whatever that is worth to you. Uh, no, I am not up and on down. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Thanks, Adrian. Jesse, thanks for your time. So what are you trying to accomplish? Is this actually about justice for James Daniel McIntyre, or would you be leaking this stuff anyhow? We would have leaked some of this material anyway. In our view, everything here is entirely connected, however. The atmosphere set by Stephen Harper, RCMP. CSIS and more is to treat environmental protesters as terrorists. Our goal is to protect activists on the ground, to see C-51 completely repealed, and to see how police interact with and spy on indigenous, environmental, and other protesters as well as the general public reset. Did you hack a government system, the uh, Privy Council Office or the Treasury Board? With respect to what we have hacked, it would not be in our OPSEC interests to speak specifically. In general, here is how things stand. The most protected system in Canada is the new one being put in place for CSIS foreign stations. The second most protected system is probably a tie between the CPC's SIMS database and the new domain that more sensitive government systems are already switching to. Treasury, for instance, is still on the decade-old GC.ca architecture. Stephen Harper cared way more about protecting his party databases than he did about protecting Treasury Board and Privy Council. Then, of course, there is the 30-year-old foreign stations architecture described in the document we leaked. Okay, so you're, you're implying that you did, in fact, hack the Privy Council office or the Treasury Board's computer systems. It has been suggested that you didn't, that you may have just photoshopped away the redactions from a document that anybody could have gotten through an access to information request. Did you? No. If there was a native request, the government would have produced it by now. We did not get this document through Freedom of Information. ATIP, or any other way. Any other similar way. There seems to be consensus that the document is legitimate. So what I'm taking from this chat is that you are claiming to have gotten it through some kind of a hack, but you can't explicitly confirm that because it's a crime and stuff. So moving on. Moving on. How does exposing the existence of 23 previously secret CESA stations around the world help your cause of resetting the way that the state spies on activists and, and the public? The document refers specifically to CISE powers to spy on Canadians in Canada as well. This is the new architecture that will allow them to do that more efficiently and secretly. It also demonstrates that we are privy to some of their most well-guarded secrets. So what is the ideal outcome of that document dump for you? A trial by jury of the officers who shot James McIntyre, the repeal of Bill C-51, and a public fully informed of the two, even three-tier justice system that is fully implemented in Canada as of now. All three of those things might happen, but not because you leaked a document. 
You, you get that, right? We get that there are a variety of factors that contribute to any outcome. We know our role and appreciate its limitations. There is zero chance the officer will be tried by jury, actually. In the enormously unlikely event that charges are laid against an officer or officers, they will choose a trial by judge rather than by jury. Tony Clement called you guys clownish, and uh, other journalists are openly dismissive of you, even mocking you. I am deeply skeptical, but I'm not dismissive for two reasons. One, the document seems to be legitimate. Two, obtaining and releasing it might be serious crimes, and you're risking your freedom by doing this. Thank you. Both of those things are true. There are members of our team that are at more risk than others. As we told the National Post, clowns, court jesters, and political comedians have always been able to tell truths that others cannot. While there are some mockers, we are generally pleasantly surprised not only at the reception to our operation in the Canadian media, but also by the real attempts to finally catch up in terms of secure communications. We appreciate your efforts, for instance, as much as they include inevitable failures and wasted time. My efforts often include inevitable failures and wasted time, uh, but thank you. So you are a team. How many? That wouldn't be prudent to say. More than one. Less than 15. I'm working under the assumption that I'm talking to the same entity that, one, made the video demanding the arrest of the officers, two, controls the up and on down Twitter handle, three, released the document about CSIS that we're discussing right now, and four, dumped the statement of claim made by Nathan Jacobson against the Attorney General and CSIS. All true? All true. Not always the same person, of course, but same team for all of those things, Yes. Okay, so since you tweeted the Baird stuff, let me ask, what is the point of tweeting highly defamatory and serious allegations without providing anything that could be reasonably considered substantiation? We explained this in some detail in our press release on Saturday. For many, many hundreds of years, those in power could count on structures of power to allow them to get away with unspeakable crimes so long as they could never be proven to a level that is nearly impossible. We caveated what we said appropriately. We think what we've done is to encourage full and fair examination of a relevant public issue. Several hundred, maybe a few thousand who are keenly attuned to Twitter now know what dozens of Ottawa and Toronto journalists have whispered about for months, if not years. The article saying that we are threatening to release these texts, for instance, wound up on relatives of ours Facebook pages without our prompting. The texts themselves did not. One more thing on that. Okay. The ongoing CSA inquiries in the UK show that the very highest reaches of power, with the tacit consent or participation of the highest levels of media and law enforcement can be involved in the worst kind of abuse of children for a very long time while it is hushed up. We will have no part in such secrecy. Get the truth out either way. If Baird is innocent of those claims, Let's clear his name and hear the real reason he quit in a hurry. You call them the public to send any info that they have to the Globe and Mail. I took from that that you don't have any proof yourself beyond what you've released, correct? Our very first tweet on this could, understandably, be read to mean that we have decrypted video. We do not. And we attempted to clear that up as best we could with the press release on Saturday. We are now aware of many more parts of the story but cannot put them out there as of yet. 
We do not have smoking gun proof or we would get it out immediately. Sometimes I know something is true, but I can't prove it. I realize that I'm talking to a nameless, amorphous digital entity, but what the heck, let me ask anyhow. Do you know if the allegations are true? As we said in our press release, at this point we would be shocked if the most serious allegations against Baird at this point are not true. There comes a tipping point when you hear and see enough of these kind of stories. There was with Cosby. There was with Gomshi. There was, in a different domain, with certain athletes like Lance Armstrong or Barry Bonds. So most recently, you posted a statement of claim filed years ago by former inmate and uh, quote-unquote notorious businessman Nathan Jacobson against the Attorney General of Canada and CSIS. Yes. You said it was a sealed court document, right? It was at one point, yes. We are getting two different stories, both plausible. In one, the court unsealed it and we don't have that order. In the second story, a court clerk screwed up and allowed someone to have the file when they shouldn't have. We don't know which version is correct. Journalist Michael Harris, who's written about this, told me that the document was not sealed when he sought it out. It was just really hard to find, having been suspiciously moved to a very remote courthouse. But how did you get it? It was passed along a chain of trust built up over many years. We believe the original source either helped Harris procure it or even alerted him to its existence. We are not 100% sure. Harris' story sounds correct. He would definitely know more about the document's provenance. In any event, it's pretty wild stuff. It doesn't do much to substantiate the claim that Jacobson had anything to do with Baird's alleged behavior, but it's still pretty nuts. Very nuts. That's why we published it immediately upon reception. It's exactly what we're talking about with respect to two or even three tiers of justice. Jacobson admitted in an official court document that he bribed a CSIS agent to the tune of perhaps millions of dollars. The CSIS agent was apparently suspended permanently for the bribery. But then suddenly, there's a settlement. The CSIS agent is back on the job. Likely, Jacobson got a ton of public money for his trouble. Just. Wild. You know, if an indigenous person steals a lemon in Canada, they can be immediately shot dead. But stealing and bribing on huge contract related to oil, gas, and isotopes? It's all a game. I'm not sure who it puts pressure on. The liberals were in power at the time, so I can't see it rattling any cages in our current government. Are you trying to connect the dots, or are you just trying to dump hot shit? It puts pressure on liberals, yes. It puts pressure on the current government, though, too. They've acted like they had no idea who this top donor was that rubbed shoulders with all the cabinet ministers, even the prime minister. It also puts pressure on CSIS and things like Bill C-51. It's very clear that Canada's spy apparatus is completely unaccountable and has zero business. Less than zero business, actually. Less than zero business getting further power to put people on secret lists get information that could be used to blackmail, etc., etc. The whole recent episode has seen more back and forth between you and the mainstream press than anything I can recall. Why do you care what the National Post prints? By you, I mean anonymous. There are a few reasons. First, the recent episode with Paul Watson and some of our own experiences with outlets like The Star show that it's particular journalists worth trusting, not outlets. Secondly, we think the post reaches Harper's base. Many will vote for Harper no matter what. 
but at some point, the strongest base begins to melt away in the face of so much overwhelming corruption on matters they care about. Yeah, but if you had proof, video or documents, you could just dump it all and the media would be forced to cover it, as was the case with the, your first dump, the Privy Council Office Treasury Board document. So why form relationships with specific reporters? I will admit that I was a bit surprised that Adrian Humphreys reported on a threat by Anonymous. Humphreys did a bang-up job on the Master Heart story where Canada went along with the torture of one of Anonymous's owned by the United States. We cannot just do a dump for reasons of security and also because we have learned that dumps mean lots of very important information gets buried. So you're looking for a signal boost from reporters you trust? Reporters we trust to not be clueless. We would work with very hostile reporters if they took security seriously and had half a clue what was up and what was down tech-wise. Anonymous has no expectation that we will always receive fawning press. You claim to know that Canada was caught spying on the United States and that Obama decided to kill the Keystone Pipeline as punishment. Got proof? Thank you, Jesse. You ask the hard questions in a way that isn't mean-spirited. That's very sweet of you to say, up and on down. Stay tuned with respect to Keystone and spying on the United States. That wasn't our last word on this. That was your Canada Land episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read them all and I respond when I can. I'm on Twitter at Jesse Brown. The show's website is canadalandshow.com and the crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. I make the show with Katie Jensen. Special thanks this week to Adam Scriven for digging up that old search engine episode from the archives. The next episode of Canada Land Commons will be up on Tuesday and there will be no shortcuts this week. It'll be back next week. If you like this show, please support it. In France, in the 13th century, a teenager ascends the throne. He seems calm, collected, and as it happens, drop-dead gorgeous. But looks can be deceiving, and no one is ready for the death, destruction, and chaos that lie ahead. Step inside the reign of one of the Middle Ages' most cold-blooded rulers on This Is History presents The Iron King, available wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>